Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. The text is printed on the bulletin. On the next page, uh, we'll look at verses 11 through 16 this morning. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is what we get here in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is addressing his disciples. He's not just addressing like the whole world. He's addressing his disciples in particular, so his followers. He's describing the blessed life of the kingdom of heaven, uh, the life of the king himself, really, that is opened up to us, that, uh, that we can share with him. So we've spent some time looking at the Beatitudes over the last several weeks, uh, which the Beatitudes are an introduction to the rest of the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and now, in these uh, verses that we'll look at this morning... Jesus is uh, pivoting to the main body of his sermon. This is, uh, this is sort of like the, the end of the introduction leading into the beginning of the new, uh, the big part of the main body of the sermon. So uh, two of the verses uh, we looked at last week, verses 11 and 12, they are like transitional for us. They segue from the final beatitude, which uh, we talked about last week about uh, suffering persecution, uh, segue into this section now about uh, salt and light. So So we're going to read those verses again, 11 and 12, in connection with our passage this morning. So let me pray, and then we can read the scripture. Father, you have spoken to us in your scriptures and through your son, Jesus. We cannot ignore your word, and we thank you for it. So we ask that you would help us to understand it, and believe it, and to be changed by it into the likeness of your Son as we consider it together now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's calling us. He's encouraging us uh, to live out our life with him in freedom and boldness and for the good of others and for their relationship with God, Uh, even though sometimes that's uncomfortable. That's basically what this is about. As we considered last week, uh, Christ's people can expect to suffer persecution because the unrighteous persecute the righteous. That's what the scriptures say. That's been our experience in the real world. And we can expect persecution because if they persecuted Jesus, they'll also persecute us. And because if we want to live with Jesus and live uh, for Jesus and, um, and in Jesus and like Jesus then we're going to suffer the way that he suffered. So the the blessing of this life that Jesus is talking about is in the relationship. It's in the relationship with Jesus. We have the privilege of knowing him and being found in union with him, even when we endure sufferings like his, maybe even especially when we endure sufferings like his. The Son of God 
the King of heaven and earth, the crucified Lord and the risen Lord, has opened his life to us as a gift of his grace. And that's good news. And this good news, uh, this new life in Christ with God, is what we have to offer the world. That's what Jesus came to offer the world, and that's what we have to offer the world. So the world has been in this state of spiritual decay and darkness ever since uh, sin entered the world and we broke our relationship with God. Jesus is the one who has reestablished and renewed our relationship with God. And those of us who live with God, then, through faith in him, we have the antidote, antidote to this decay and this darkness that's rampant and natural to the world. Right? In fact, he says we are the antidote. antidote. We are, uh, as the people of Christ, we are the salt to prevent decay. And we are the light to dispel the spiritual darkness. So, salt. Uh, what does that mean? How's he using this, uh, this figurative language here? Salt, throughout human history, has been used to uh, preserve meat from spoiling. Uh, you remember that uh, refrigeration is only a relatively modern, recent uh, invention. And before this, uh, if you had some good meat that you didn't want to rot and go bad, then you had to rub salt into it. Plenty of salt, right? And that would preserve it. Uh, there are other uses for salt. It brings out stronger flavor in bland foods. Uh, Job says it in uh, Job chapter 6. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Especially as you get older, it seems you're using more and more salt to have any discernible flavor in your food. Uh, Exodus 30, salt was part of the recipe for the holy incense that was burning at the entrance of the tabernacle, the Old Testament meeting place between God and his people. Salt was part of that, uh, that ingredient list. Uh, In the ancient world, you would salt the land of your enemies. So as you're conquering them, uh, you'd go through and salt their fields in order to make it desolate so that they can't grow crops there. Ruins the land. It also does quite a number on garden slugs trying to eat your lettuce. There's a lot of good uses for salt. Um, In our Old Testament reading, which Sarah read from Leviticus 2, God commanded that salt would be used on grain offerings that are burned on the altar. And that really, we get the, the picture from that, that it's, it's as a symbol of the preservation of the relationship between God and his people. That God is preserving that relationship. Uh, so it's called the salt of the covenant. And that word covenant really is just kind of a fancy word for relationship. So the salt was symbolic, right? God didn't need us to spice up his food for him before grilling it on the altar. Uh, and it wasn't a matter of literal preservation since it was going up in smoke right there, or sometimes, you know, the priests would eat uh, what was offered there um, right away. So it's not for literal preservation. It was meant as a reminder for us, a symbolic reminder of uh, the preservative quality of salt representing the perpetual covenant, the lasting nature of the relationships, eternal, never-ending life with God. That's what it's a picture of. Apart from the grace of God, this world is rotting. Apart from the grace of God, this world is full of disease and death. Spiritually speaking, our relationships with God and with each other are disintegrating. Apart from the grace of God, this world's natural state is toward decay. But because of who God is, because of his mighty works and his good promises, salt has been rubbed into the world, so to speak, to prevent the world from utter deterioration. People are saved. People are saved from spiritual decay and death that come from having a broken relationship with God. 
People are restored to a new, everlasting, secure relationship with God as our Father, by His grace, through the good work of Jesus, His Son. And light. Uh, The way that it's usually used in the Scriptures is as a metaphor for the knowledge of the truth. Metaphor for knowledge. So, it's the way you find it a lot in the Scriptures. Um, Light dispels darkness so that people can see, so that people can know. Uh, a light, uh, a city that's lit up on a hill. You know, if you're ever driving around the valley and you see, um, I don't know, what city is out there on the hill outside of Shoals? <laughs> Laurel, you know? There's like lights on the hill. It's not a city, right? But there's lights. And it's like you can see it in the dark. Uh, you can't see much if it's in the valley or in a depression or whatever. But up on a hill, a city on a hill that's lit up at night is pretty obvious pretty easy to find. If you were a wayward traveler looking for help in the night, you know where to go when there's a city set on a hill. Uh, You uh, light a lamp in a room so that you can see and not stumble around, uh, lost in the dark or afraid. Um, So as Paul prays for the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, we need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we can know God. So if we're going to be in a real relationship with God, then we need his revelation. We need his truth so that we can really know him. And uh, John, uh, this this is a theme that's very uh, prevalent in John's gospel, this idea of light. Uh, John says that Jesus is the true light, which gives light to everyone. Or Jesus says himself in uh, John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, if you want to live with God, then you need Jesus. Jesus came into the world to stop the spiritual decay and death through his own sacrifice and his resurrection. Jesus came into the world to shine the light of life through his teaching, through the revelation of God in himself. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus because he's God. If you want to know what it's like for a human being to live with God as his father, you look at Jesus because that's who he is. And when his people live with him, and live like him, when we faithfully bear witness to him in our lives, then we become salt and light in a way that is like Jesus himself, just like him. As Christ's people, we're the testimony that God's salvation preserves the world. That people are saved from the spiritual decay and death of this world. People are restored to eternal life with God. We're the salt of the covenant. We're sprinkled on the earth. We're the testimony of that, of God's preserving salvation. And as Christ's people, we make him known through our life lived with him. We make him known as a God who forgives sinners like us. That's the first thing we're going to say about ourselves, confess our sins. But he's a God who forgives sinners like us. We make him known as the God who is love and whose love renews our love. We're the light of the world shining against the darkness of ignorance, the darkness of the lack of knowledge of God. Jesus says we are salt, but he also warns us that salt is what it is because it's salty, because it has this certain quality, right? Um, And if it's lost that certain quality, if it's lost its saltiness, Well, then it's not really salt anymore, is it? And so he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He's not giving a chemistry lesson, saying that the chemical compound NaCl, you know, sodium chloride, uh, 
it can lose its salty taste. If you have just this pure NaCl, then it's, uh, it can lose its salty taste, or you could somehow re-inject its salty taste back into it, this chemical compound, it, preservative nature or whatever, um, and somehow still be salt, right? It, it, can't, it can't be salt if it's not salty. <clears throat> so in those days, uh, they weren't usually able to process salt so purely as we can. <clears throat> so what was called salt was often a mixture of different minerals, and uh, maybe more often than not, some other mineral was predominant. That salt was uh, in the minority of what was on in your salt dish, right? So if, salt, if what's in your salt dish didn't really have the properties of salt, then it just wasn't actually salt. It was just garbage. Garbage to be thrown out. <clears throat> so R.T. France says that um, unsalty salt is like water losing its wetness. It's a contradiction in terms. If it's not salty, it's not salt. So if you don't live with God in ways that testify to the preservative nature of God's salvation, that his grace saves you from yourself, from spiritual decay and death, then you're just not really salt, are you? If you don't live with God in ways that reveal the knowledge of God to others in this dark world, then you're not really light, are you? If you're relationship with God doesn't actually make you distinct from the world, how could you be good for the world? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. With Jesus blending into the world, uh, being just like the world, to escape the world's attention, is not an option. Not with Jesus. Uh, but neither is separation from the world. That's not an option either. Not with Jesus. So again, R.T. France, commentator, says, It is only those who are involved with other people who will be seen to be different and so attract persecution. Salt is of no use as long as it stays in the salt cellar. Light is of no use under a bowl. It is the town conspicuously sighted on the hill, which people notice. And the outcome of distinctive discipleship is intended to be that other people will notice. And though sometimes they may respond with cynicism and persecution, ultimately, the light will have its effect and they will recognize and acknowledge the goodness of the God who is its source. Disciples, therefore, must be both distinctive and involved. Neither the indistinguishably assimilated nor the inaccessible hermit will fulfill the mandate of these challenging verses. Sorry, long quote there from R.T. France. <clears throat> any church or any Christian who doesn't live a distinctive life with Jesus, a visibly distinct life with Jesus, Jesus says, well, do they really live with Jesus? Salt and light are both things that work against other things. Salt works against the microbes that cause decay. Maybe they didn't know that back then, but they would have said salt works against rot. And light works against the darkness, eradicating it uh, by its mere presence. The mere presence of light means you can't have darkness. Salt is in conflict with rot. Light banishes darkness. So when... Spiritual decay and darkness are the natural tendencies of this world and everybody around us. 
And Jesus calls us and encourages us to be salty and to be bright. He's calling us to be against the world, but for its own good. For its good, because salt and light are good. It is possible to be against the world for its good. It's possible to be against others for their good. Right? But we have to admit that's uncomfortable for everybody. Uh, we might like to keep quiet, just keep our heads down, just keep to ourselves. But Jesus says we're to imitate him in working against the natural tendencies of this world. That doesn't mean we set ourselves against the world out of hostility, but actually out of love, because that's what Jesus himself has done. He stands against a world of lovelessness through his perfect love. He stands against sin because of his goodness. He stands against death because he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus came to fight the tendency towards spiritual decay by preserving the human relationship with God in his own faithfulness to God. He came into a world that would prefer to live in darkness in order to reveal the light of God so that we could stop stumbling and lost uh, and afraid apart from him so that we could know him and come to him for life with God. So Jesus came to save us from ourselves. Nobody wants to be saved from themselves, but that's what he did. He came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from the consequences of our rebellion against God. People who in the world uh, who are set against God want no such help from Jesus or anybody. And they're often offended at the very suggestion that they need his help. They need such help as this. The salt of Christ only irritates them. The light of Christ only sets them to blinking and covering their eyes. This is why Jesus tells us to expect persecution, even as he had faced it, and to rejoice as we face it, because we suffer in our relationship with him. So this reality, the conflict of salt with decay, the conflict of light with darkness, that is enough to tempt us to become less salty and bright in order to avoid that conflict. But that same reality, that conflict, that painfulness of being salt and light in this world is also a reassurance that we really do belong to Jesus, who himself has suffered that same painful conflict. So Jesus is calling us and encouraging us here, if you truly have a relationship with God through faith in him, then you will be salt and light to the world. Your life will be a testimony to God's salvation, a testimony about who he is and about what it's like to live with him rather than apart from him. It's in the very nature of salt to be salty. It's in the very nature of light and the purpose of light to give light. So also it's in the very nature of those who have a relationship with Jesus to live in ways that are distinct from the world, possibly irritating the world, yes, but ultimately good for the world because Jesus is good for the world. Jesus is not giving you permission to be abrasive or aggressive, as to spitefully rub salt into people's wounds, spiritually speaking, right? Jesus is not <clears throat> saying that you should flaunt your righteousness like a hypocrite. Let everybody see your good works. Give a good performance of a merely external devotion. He's not saying that. <clears throat> He's not saying that you need to prove yourself or earn your standing with God by doing the good works of being salt and light. And if you do them well enough, then you'll be acceptable to God. He's not saying that either. Jesus is saying because of his grace through your union with himself, 
You know God as your father. You have that relationship. You have a new life with him, with the one who himself lives for the good of others. That characterizes the life of God, the life of Christ. He lives for the good of others, and you're in union with him. He gives himself to us. He laid down his life for us. So you also live and speak freely in the same way for the good of others. You have a real relationship with this God. His life really is in you. So let that life be visible in your life. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Jesus is talking here about the privilege that we're being given by God to participate in what he's doing, to participate in the restoration that he's bringing about in this world. First and foremost, that means the restoration of relationship with God. That's what salvation means. Right? So this is not a plea for us to go about some big project of redeeming or transforming culture. We're to figure out all the nooks and crannies of culture and all the possibilities for how it could be redeemed or transformed. Right? This goal, it's, the goal isn't just to make everybody a bit nicer or to make the world generally a more pleasant place to live or even to win over the masses so that uh, you know, life becomes easier for Christians. And the goal certainly isn't to impress others with our faithfulness so that we would win their respect or approval. Jesus is saying that our lives can be lived in such a way that make God known to others so that they also may have a relationship with him and live with him. So apart from Christ, no one gives glory to God the Father. No one gives glory to God as their Father apart from faith in Jesus. So Jesus is saying we will introduce others to him in a way that changes their lives at that root level so that they also will give glory to God the Father through faith in Jesus. So do you know what it means to live life with God through faith in Jesus? How has living with God rather than apart from him, how has that changed your life? Invisible ways. Do you dread living like salt and light in this world? Or do you find it a privilege to testify to Jesus in ways that are good for the world around you? In ways that communicate the love and salvation of God in Christ, whether that's received well or not. Jesus will go on in the rest of his Sermon on the Mount to discuss details of what life in Christ, uh, life in his kingdom will look like, different aspects of our lives with God. Here he is preparing his people, I think, uh, for the rest of the sermon. He says, living with God in these ways that you'll hear about throughout the rest of this sermon um, on the mount, living with God in these ways will make you appear strange to the rest of the world. And it's okay. It's okay to be different from the world like Jesus is different from the world. It's okay to be different with Jesus. So all of it will be for your good. You will be blessed in your relationship with him, and it'll be good for for all the world. Living for the good of others can be extremely uncomfortable for everyone. Just ask someone who's done an intervention for a drug addict that they love. Uh, Just ask Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Living for the good of others can be extremely uncomfortable. Um, Just ask the martyrs who held on to their testimony and prayed for their captors even as they were being killed. When someone lives with God openly and freely for the good of others, 
Even when that results in persecution, it can have miraculous effect. So St. Alban uh, bore witness faithfully to his relationship with God and Christ, and he became the first Christian martyr in Britain in the year 304. St. Alban. The executioner who was ordered to behead him heard Alban's testimony, uh, given right there in the face of torture and death. And the executioner became a Christian on the spot and refused to follow the order and immediately became the second British martyr. Uh, That converted executioner saw Alban's good works. And he came into a new relationship with God and he gave glory to the Father in heaven. In the year 320, uh, 40 Christian soldiers in what is now Turkey uh, were being pressured to renounce their faith, to renounce their life with God and Christ, to cease being salt and light, to cease being that irritation in the world. They were forced to stand on a frozen lake, uh, stripped naked, and the guards offered them, hey, there's warm baths here, there's clothing and food on the shore. If you turn your back on Christ, you can have it all. And one of the soldiers gave in after a while, ran to the shore. The rest remained faithful, which so moved one of the guards that he stripped off his clothes and joined them on the frozen lake and joined them in their deaths for Christ's sake. That, that converted guard, a persecutor himself, saw their good works and came into a new relationship with God and gave glory to the Father who's in heaven. Those are some pretty extreme cases of the people of Christ being salt and light in ways that move others to glorify God. They're extreme cases, but they're not rare. They're not rare. John Stott says that the world will undoubtedly persecute the church, yet it is the church's calling to serve this persecuting world. Just as Jesus has served a world that persecuted him, for its good. The Son of God, King of heaven and earth, the crucified and risen Lord, he's opened his life to us as a gift of his grace. And this good news, this new life in Christ is what we have to offer the world. Uh, no one's likely to receive it. They're not likely to receive the good news about Jesus. By nature, sinners oppose it. But the Holy Spirit is quite capable of rubbing salt into the world to preserve it and of shining light into the darkness to dispel it. The Holy Spirit's quite capable of awakening people to new life with God through our life with God in Christ. And in this, we're given the privilege of participating in the most amazing, uh, wonderful renewal and work of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to see our union with your Son for the privilege that it is. One that we could never deserve. It's such a gracious gift. Help us to live visibly distinct lives with you in this world. In the world and for the world, yet not of the world, even as Jesus has lived. We want to testify to your preserving goodness, to your salvation. We want to make you known to others for their wonder, and for your glory. We want to be this salt and light that Jesus has called us to be. So we pray that you'd help us not to be afraid to live this way, whatever the response is that we see from others in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.